0: Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast with Jane Rogers, where we discuss science to help prevent cognitive decline.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for making the time to tune in for this episode. Whether you're listening to the audio podcast or watching the video version on YouTube, I learned so much in today's show. We all know how many birthday candles should be on our cake. But do you know your biological age? That's how fast your cells are aging. You ideally want your biological age to be seven years younger than your chronological age. Because studies show if you're aging that well, you cut your risk of developing an age-related disease in half. Our guest today is Ryan Smith from True Diagnostic, which offers a biological aging test for folks like us. So Ryan, I would like to welcome you to the podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks, Jane, for having me.
1: Good. Tell me about your company, True Diagnostics. You've only been around since 2020, and you're doing really exciting work.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, thank you for that. You know, uh, the company is very new. And, and, and you know, I, it was based in 2020 really off of one idea, which is that we wanted to provide some of these really exciting age-related algorithms mm-hmm. to our network of clinical physicians. And so due to some of the previous businesses that we've had before, we've always been very uh, sort of involved in, in, uh, uh, sort of in the process of educating physicians mm-hmm. in this sort of cash pay integrative health market, a lot of whom would consider mm-hmm. probably themselves probably you know, anti-aging physicians. And, um, you know, with some of the advent of, of this technology over the course of the past decade, um, it really starting in 2013, uh, we, we really saw the first application in September of 2019, uh, where they published the first ever clinical trial showing a reversal of these mm-hmm. age-related diagnostics. Mm-hmm. And we thought, you know, this is by far in the literature the most exciting way to quantify that aging process. Uh, and we definitely have always had this idea that age itself is a disease and one that, if can be appropriately measured, can then be appropriately managed. And so we really wanted to, to provide some of that, that new new science and the ability to measure these, these aging rates uh, very, very specifically to that clinical community. And so we started that in, in July of 2020. Uh, we started, started the company in March of 2020. Uh, we sort of uh, uh, built a lab uh, that's CLIA certified in all 50 states uh, that has sort of the state of the Uh, You know, genetic and and, and, uh, biomolecular infrastructure uh, to do a lot of this testing. Um, And so, uh, you know, in addition to sort of offering that to clinical providers during the rest of that year, one of the other questions we've been really focusing on is how do we uh, learn more about what insights are able to reverse that epigenetic aging process? And so with that, we've created a lot of clinical trials and are really trying to answer that question now, which can be a little bit frustrating because now we do have really accurate and really uh, amazing methods to determine age, but we still have little to no idea about the best ways to reverse it. Um, and so that's really what we're, mm-hmm. we're focusing on at mm-hmm. this
1: point. So my community cares about preventing cognitive decline. Absolutely. So. What Why should they care about how many, of course, how many candles are on your birthday cake? What's your chronological age? You usually see people who are older getting cognitive decline. But what you are saying is that it's your biological age, your epigenetic age, that's going to be the driver for disease, age-related disease, like like Alzheimer's and dementia.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, um, first and foremost, you know, the age is the biggest risk factor for all chronic disease and death, mm-hmm. including any type of neurocognitive related issue. Uh, but as as we probably all know, we probably know people in their 70s who look like they're in their 50s exactly. and vice versa. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we so so chronological age is not the best method to, to do a lot of these diagnoses. Um, really, a, a better method is this idea of biological age and, and the age of the body. and this has been something that people have tried to try to develop for a long, long time. Even in the 1920s, I, I always use this example. they were doing biological age by sort of saying your chronological age plus one year for every pack per day you smoked. Um, and so there've been some very Ooh. yeah, some very, very crude methods for that for a long time. Um, but, but now um, essentially, what is happening is that these are becoming very, very precise due to this new new sort of idea, new biomarker that, that really is just now happening, sort of this idea of epigenetics, which really uh, is where genetics was over 30 years ago.
1: So let's unpack this. There's a lot of information and it's new science and I think yeah. it's, it's unfamiliar to a lot of us. So we should get a test done that measures our epigenetic age. So my audience is really interested in how to stop aging, because then you hopefully stop the diseases of aging, like Cognitive decline, memory issues, Alzheimer's, dementia—all of those things. So, why is it important that I know my epigenetic age, and how do I find it out?
2: Yeah, so so it's important because uh, you know age is the number one risk factor for all of those things that you mentioned, and mm-hmm. biological age is an even better risk factor, particularly if we look at if you are at advanced or or, or sort of uh, slowing, uh, deaccelerated aging process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so the idea would be that that these epigenetic markers we're talking about are not like your genetic markers, like mm-hmm. APOE3, 4, et cetera. These things are changeable. And so through diet, lifestyle, and intervention, we can then look at what is affecting risk of not only – uh, you know, aging, but also disease, uh, to then see how we can mitigate that via lifestyle, diet interventions, pharmaceutical therapies, really anything in our lives which might mitigate that. And so we go through that process by by really measuring um, on the DNA. So we're not measuring the actual sequence. What we're measuring is sort of the expression, how those genes are turned on and turned off. And the majority of, mm-hmm. of of that the way I always like to explain it is every cell in your body has the exact same DNA. If we were to take a sample of your skin and your hair, we get the exact same DNA sequence. However, all the cells in your body have different epigenetic expression because they all want to behave differently. So your skin might turn on genes to, you know, to make collagen, whereas your heart cells might, uh, you know, do it to make, you know, actin or some other muscle filaments. And so uh, all of these different cells are different. And and by sort of analyzing these patterns, this new biomarker of methylation, which is thought to inactivate gene transcription. So generally, if a gene is methylated, it's turned off. Um, and so, so this the ability to look at that methylation is only a relatively new thing, mm-hmm. um, especially at scale. We have over 29 million different spots in each cell where, where, where something could be mm-hmm. methylated, um, and they can all be methylated at different percentages. And so what we really have now is a way to really build a really large-scale data set. Um, to, but the Problem is the interpretation of that data set. How do you learn what that what those markers mean, and how do you apply it to a, a, an outcome? And aging has been the main source of a lot of this research for a long time, uh, mainly because it has such a high correlation to those methylation marks on your DNA. Um, and so, so as a result, this, this has been sort of used as a surrogate method for a lot of things, and it really has changed this philosophy where this idea of epigenetic methylation and managing that can manage risk factor for every chronic disease, and especially a lot of those neurocognitive mm-hmm. ones as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's easy to get tested, right? Yeah. You just you put a little bit of blood in a vial and you mail yeah. it off,
2: right? And It's, it's, that, that's, it's that easy. That's okay. simple. And- yeah, not, not quite as easy <laughs> as, you know, if it's typical DNA where you're yeah. doing saliva or, or the buccal cell. But with that being said, you know, just a few drops is all we need. And the reason we use blood is because that's how all of these interpretations have been trained. So we, mm-hmm. we we need to use blood to make sure that we're giving you the correct age. If we were to use, for instance, you know, uh, uh, breast tissue, we'd get much, much higher ages than average, your blood. If we were to measure mm-hmm. your brain tissue, you'd get much, much lower ages than blood. And so so the tissue type matters, and blood mm-hmm. is is definitely what we recommend. And, and we'll probably continue to be a blood test for a second. For for you mm-hmm.
1: so you send it off, you wait a little bit, you get this result that says haha uh-huh, I may be yeah. 60 but I really am 70 in my aging or whatever yeah that's kind of scary. <laughs> how can you change yeah, it is so how Terrifying. can you change yeah. how can you change that yeah. <laughs> like let's say you you get a report back and you are aging much more quickly yeah. than you thought you were and you want to
2: impact it yeah and, 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 and you know sort of as I mentioned earlier, that's still a little bit of a question mark. There are some things that we absolutely okay. know, though. Um, and, and, and so, you know, one of the things I should mention is that really the goal that we're trying to shoot for is for everyone in the world to be seven years younger biologically than they are chronologically. Mm. So if you're, you're 50, we want you to be right around 43. Um, and, and the reason being is that if everyone in the world were seven years younger mm-hmm. uh, biologically than chronologically, we would cut disease in half. Fifty percent of people would no longer be sick, and so you can know that population-level impacts of aging are incredible. In um, addition to that, if we just slowed the aging rate by twenty percent, we'd save the U.S. over uh, three trillion dollars in healthcare spending. Um, so, so, you know, the, this idea of age as a disease is one that's not been, I would say, uh, you know, uh, accepted in, in as an ICD-10 code. But but it's starting to be accepted as its own independent disease process, and that is really exciting because the impact we can have is is great. So whenever we're talking about those things, that's really the goal we're trying to shoot for. How do we get you to be seven years younger uh, biologically than chronologically?
1: And are you seeing that with some of your your clients? Are you seeing yeah, in the follow up studies that they are able to? Yeah. Decrease that biological age?
2: Definitely, and and you know, right now there there are only around six or seven interventional studies that look at a baseline, mm-hmm. um, a treatment, and then an outcome. Okay. Uh, so they're not that many, but um, we've got thirty ongoing, so quite a few. But the uh, so a lot will come out in in the future. But um, but one of the things we know the most about is by looking at data sets from the past, where uh, you know we they might have stored their their blood samples in biobanks for. 50 years, mm-hmm. um, and then they've developed a lot of these outcomes, and so what we're able to do with that is look at a lot of the mm-hmm. traits and behaviors which are associated with better or worse aging outcomes, and so we know a lot epidemiology, uh, epidemiologically mm-hmm. uh, to sort of say, hey, we know that, you know, some, some alcohol is good, but too much is definitely bad. We know the same for exercise. We know, um, and a lot of the things we found out on this epigenetic level from large-scale populations are relatively intuitive. So you know we we know things like stress management is great. You know getting more than seven hours of sleep per night. Um, you know mm-hmm. eating mostly plant-based diets um, with you know sort of anti-inflammatory related diets and you know making sure your immune system is healthy. All of these different things are relatively intuitive things we know. But there are also some very very exciting things that we're finding out as well. In particular on on how to reverse some of these markers. One that that definitely strikes me as one of the most exciting, particularly for, for your listeners, is uh, something called plasma apheresis or plasma exchange. And, um, and, and the reason that I would say it's probably relevant to your view is the same therapy has been studied at very large okay. scale for reducing Alzheimer's um, or reducing Alzheimer's risk. And so um, the, the studies, uh, just to let you know, started in, in a very strange way. They started by connecting the vascular systems of old mice with young mice. So they sort of sewed their blood mm-hmm. systems together and uh, whenever they did that they found that the old mouse actually became younger um, you know had you know a thicker hair you know had better mental Whoa. processing speeds all the markers of age that they i've seen in this old mouse were sort of rejuvenated mm-hmm. um, and vice versa some of the markers in that 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 young mouse actually became worse it actually showed edel- advanced and accelerated aging um, and so so this idea yeah, yeah. This idea was that hey, there might be something in the this in the blood which is causing these aging rates.
1: So how do you I'm sorry. So I, I, the, I have so many questions. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: Hurry, <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know that that is a hard experiment to do, right? Mm-hmm. It requires surgery, and so what they started to do is to change those protocols in some form or fashion. One of the things that they started to do was to do plasmapheresis, where they sort of take out the plasma. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in very simplistic terms, they filter it and then reinfuse it with a couple other products like albumin or serum IgG. And and when they do that, they found that you can you can really limit a lot of those aging re- rates in um, and, and acceleration. And, and so uh, one of its first applications was with a, a multi-24 hospital um, trial study um, looking at Alzheimer's. Um, and it was called the Griffel study. And what they found was that mm-hmm. that uh, it, it didn't have, an, as I would say, a reversal of Alzheimer's, but it could help prevent it. Um, and that was really, really exciting. And so, so um, you know, uh, th- that therapy in particular for us, when we've measured it, has had multi-year age reversals with just even one or two procedures. And oh, so, my. Yeah, so whenever we think about that seven-year uh, year yeah. age gap as a benchmark, having something that would reverse it multiple years is something that's very exciting.
1: So tell me more about that. Does someone just get that at an alternative clinic, or do you – how? how does that happen?
2: Unfortunately, at the moment, it's mm-hmm. not very commercially available. Um, I think that with the, the growing amounts of, of data about how positive that therapy is, mm-hmm. um, not just for, for aging or not just for Alzheimer's, but for a variety of other conditions mm-hmm. like autoimmune, it will become a little bit more prevalent. Um, yeah. At the moment, there are a few people doing it throughout the world, but it's also very expensive because it's not commercialized in large scale. Um, and so, so, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing are, are, are you know, very very innovative and uh, trying to get some of those data sets. But that is one that excites us quite a bit, but there are a lot of other therapies as well.
1: So let's go back to how you determine epigenetic age. We've all heard about telomeres. Okay. How, how yeah. does all this fit in to your algorithm for determining a biological age. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, so the first algorithms that started, started really the publication in 2013, and this was by, done by Dr. Steve Horvath at uh, UCLA, mm-hmm. um, and, and what he did to create this age algorithm through epigenetics is he basically took a lot of different patients, got methylation data on them, and then basically put you know all of those methylation spots that he was looking at into a computer learning system. So it was using artificial intelligence basically said, hey, create a predictive algorithm which is able to uh, get as close to possible predicting that chronological age as it we can. Um, and so that came out in 2013, and I think he'll probably win a Nobel Prize for it. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's that exciting. Uh, uh, but, but one of the interesting things was, um, you know, it was predicting chronological age. And so whenever this first came out in 2013, it was immediately used for things that were not medical or clinical in mm-hmm. origin. They were used for things like dating um, DNA at a crime scene, to see how old someone was at a crime scene or, or testing refugees to see if they were adults or minors and then therefore eligible for asylum, particularly in Europe with a lot of those Syrian refugees. And so it was already applied commercially to some degree, but um, one of the biggest problems with that is it was trained to predict chronologic age. And if we wanted to predict... We already have already talked about some of the issues with chronological age as a biomarker. Um, and so, so really in these second and third generations, they changed what it was trying to predict. And instead of trying to predict chronological age, they tried to predict health phenotypes. So are you likely to develop disease or are you likely to, to die? Um, and so with those, they look at all these different marks in the DNA, and they pick out just a select few that are most correlated to that outcome. And so whenever, whenever these markers change, it, it usually means that you're aging or you, you're proceeding closer to that outcome. So we sort of have a standard across the lifespan and then we have sort of where you should be. And the idea is that, that, uh, by, by sort of training it against those algorithms, mm-hmm. you can predict disease and death, which is, uh, as a result of these aging markers. And at first it was thought that these aging markers might, um, uh, I would say, be correlated to those outcomes. Now it's almost thought that they're causative. So they're actually the things that are going and causing some of the dysfunction which might lead to premature aging in the first place. And so we're measuring, at uh, you know, a lot of different DNA locations. We're measuring over 900,000, and in each of those, they're really that raw data output that we're getting is a percentage of methylation, so really a number between 0 and 1. And with that, we use these mathematical algorithms to then predict those outcomes of biologic age.
1: So tell me a little bit more about this. So you've watched people change their biologic age. Once you've got the, if you measure it, you can change it. Yeah. 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 And you've watched them change it. Um, yeah. Tell me about, tell me about your day. You
2: hear from these people.
1: What do they tell you? How does it change their life?
2: Yeah, you, you know, so so uh, one of the things that we, I, I always like to say is that a lot of what we do is based on relative risk, right? So we okay. talk a lot about percentages, um, and, and so but the idea being is that the younger you get, the more you're reducing your risk objectively of mm-hmm. all of these other outcomes. Not so uh, everything from you know uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, to cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, to stroke, um, to cancer. All of these things are reduced if you reduce your age, and so the idea is that uh, hopefully no one should ever be satisfied. We want them to compete with themselves to get that as low as possible for as long as possible. Um, and, and so that is sort of a, you know, really a lot of our clients who are using this now are using it as ways to say, yeah. hey, are these anti-aging interventions I'm doing, all this work I'm doing, actually working? Um, and, and if so, what is maybe working more than others so I can prioritize and decide what type of treatments I actually want to do? Um, so, and, and, and there, there's no better way to do this than personalized medicine, right, where we actually will take a baseline, uh, then someone might implement some type of protocol or procedure, say it's fasting. Um, they might try and implement that for three to six months and then retest and to see what type of trajectory they have um, for some of those samples. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, those are always in of one trials, which are always a little bit limited in how you can apply them to the general population. But we're starting to see some some trends, which then will help us influence to make recommendations on how people change those lifestyles. We already know things like the Mediterranean diet are are great um, at, at causing you know lower aging rates. We know that. Fasting of any type, or just caloric restriction, um, so not just eating—you know—less food is a great way to reverse your biological aging process. Although it's something that, that not not everyone wants to do, um, but uh, but those are obviously great things we know right now. And some things are becoming very clearly definitive. Others are, are looking like they might have some individual components. And so this is, uh, as I mentioned, definitely in its infancy. But as we as we sort of grow, uh, you know, as this this bio marker grows the, it'll go way beyond aging and even right now we can do some really interesting things beyond aging so for instance we can tell you uh, you know if uh, we can predict schizophrenia or if, tell you if you have ADHD we can tell you even when you're going to die actually um, with an algorithm called GrimAge. And so this, the, the, I think the idea is that even outside of aging, this biomarker is a very, very new one, which will yield and, and change really every area of clinical mm-hmm. medicine. Uh there'll be predictors for for neurodegenerative disease. There'll be predictors for how much uh, uh, you know athletic performance, uh, how how you might score on athletic performance, uh, how you know uh, you even things maybe for IQ and mental processing speeds. We'll be able to predict a lot of that with just one drop of your blood.
1: I can see your office environment now. Do you have some pool going on? Well Ryan Ryan decreased his biological age by ten years and, and you're the winner so far.
2: <laughs> oh absolutely. And unfortunately I'm losing that battle. I'm actually at advanced aging myself, so I'm still trying to turn back Are you- that clock. But um um, but, you know, uh, but, but absolutely, we, we definitely have, you know, uh, 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 records uh, in each of these things. One of our favorite algorithms, though, to look at is not one that tells you your overall age, but one that tells you at this moment, how fast are you aging? So in a, in a sort of a biological year-per-year year basis, it gives you a speedometer of aging. And the reason we really like that one is it's, it's, it's you know, very, very predictive of, of disease outcomes. So, for instance, even if you're aging slightly above one biological year-per-year, year, you would increase your risk of death over the next seven years by 56%, and you increase your risk of, of a chronic disease yeah. diagnosis by 54% over the next seven years. And so those are some big increases in relative risk. Um, all the results of this, this aging rate, and and, uh, and, it's, and also one of the other things we like about that is that it's a picture of the current versus the entire picture, which allows people who maybe have not lived the best lifestyle or might have already accelerated biological aging and gives them a, a target uh, to say, this is what I'm doing now. Not the overall picture, but controlling what I can control, how can I decelerate my aging the best degree possible. Um and, and so that is an algorithm we really, really like. And we developed uh I should say license that from Duke and so Columbia.
1: What are you telling your relatives right now? You know so what what do you tell your mom and your dad? You, yeah, you've got you definitely. have information. Your company has information. Science yeah. has the latest that can really change their trajectory of their lives. So what do you talk about at the dinner table?
2: Absolutely. And so, so my my parents were one of the first people we had done. Um, you know, uh, they're they mm-hmm. uh, you know in, in their late sixties. Um, and so you know, trying to protect them, and, and you know, uh, again, I have an APOE three four variant myself. Um, and so they've had parents with dementia, and Alzheimer's. So I think that a lot of uh, sort of your story is very close to to my heart as well and for them. And so with that being said, I think that, uh, um, you know, we talk about a lot of different things and a lot of different categories. The way we usually talk about that is sort of as we talk about the hallmarks of aging, Um, you know, generally there are around nine hallmarks of aging and, and um, unfortunately, we think that it's best to address all of them at the exact same time. Um, and so, so try, trying to talk about a lot of different things. So, for instance, um, you know, telomere, as we talked about, mm-hmm. telomere um, attrition is one of those hallmarks of aging. As we get older, mm-hmm. our telomeres mm-hmm. get shorter. And right. as those telomeres get shorter, they then go into things like senescence, which is another hallmark of aging, right? And so we try and treat a little bit of everything and try and find out the best protocols for each of those hallmarks of aging. And so we do have some recommendations for things like senolytic treatments to, re- you know, reduce the burden of those senescent cells, which cause that inflammation process. Um, and we, we so we recommend things for... For, to, to help reverse proteomic dysfunction, um, or to, to help with nutrient sensing, and so a lot of these hallmarks of aging are sort of what we take from an approach. And and if there are things I would recommend for everyone, there's you know the one definitive thing that I think is is everyone could benefit from is is caloric restriction. Um, we know that caloric restriction is is a great way. I know it's a very hard thing to do, but uh, with that being said, the uh, the benefits are are, are overwhelmingly positive. Um, and it's something that, that doesn't cost any money actually probably saves you money um and will then you know help with your, your overall aging um and, and lifespan and health span and so so definitely i would say aging i do recommend you know some pharmaceuticals and supplements for my my, my parents as well um things like dhea um mm-hmm. uh it to have a major impact on this through, and we we hypothesize that might be due to its effect on mitigating cortisol and some of those stress-related hormones. Um, and, and so we we would recommend things like that. Um, for people who have MTHFR genetic variants, we might recommend methylfolate. Um, you know, we might recommend um, things like flavanols, uh, so citrus bergamot mm-hmm. or green tea extract uh, to give, sort of give those cofactors to help remove methylation to give your body sort of the the necessary fuel it needs to do its reactions and jobs. And so um, so there's a lot of different recommendations, a lot of which we say can work for everyone. Um, but unfortunately at the moment, we're not to the point where we can make specified recommendations um, to sort of say, uh, you know, these markers on your genome are causing you to age. We need to reverse those markers with this therapy. We can't really say that right now. What we can say, though, is... Um, for instance, the, the, we, we have different algorithms for aging, so uh, different ways to break down this idea of aging, and then different recommendations on how to treat each of those individually. So usually what we do in these analyses is we, we first say, what is the worst category for you? What where, where, where are you performing worst at? And then how can we make efforts in those areas based on the scientifically published data that we know will reverse those metrics?
1: Things like NMN. Things like thymus and alpha. Things mm-hmm. I, I read about these things. I read David Sinclair's book on on longevity. Fascinating research of what he's yeah. doing. So those are some of the things that are are on the horizon definitely. for all of us.
2: Oh, definitely, and, and I can tell you in yeah. our in, independent data sets, we do see a mild positive benefit with. With anything like NMN or nicotinamide riboside or mm-hmm. NAD, anything that increases NAD, we do see a slight benefit from mm-hmm. um, uh, in some of our, our mm-hmm. early data sets, um, and so so those things are exciting. And, and you know, I think that um, you know Dr. Sinclair's hypothesis about the importance mm-hmm. of sirtuins mm-hmm. is an, a really really exciting one. Um, uh, and, and you know, we're activating those same mm-hmm. sirtuins via things like resveratrol or some of those other things, um, can, can, you know, we, we, we don't really know yet, I think, but, uh, but we're, we're definitely hoping to have the data behind that. And then, you know, even things like thymus one, which we know have great immune related benefits, um, you know, can, can really, uh, uh, help that as well. But, it, but all, honestly, it's one of the biggest confounders of our testing too, is that it does depend on your immune system and your immune cell subsets. And so we do have to control for that. But, uh, um, but, but with that being said, uh, those, those two things are, are definitely um, things that people are using currently with our testing to try and reverse their epigenetic age.
1: I thought it was fascinating. The pictures that you have on the website of the people who were born in 1972 and how quickly they are yeah. aging. There are some of them that are aging so yeah. quickly. Others are pretty average. And others just look really young. And we all see people like that. Can you tell us about those, those images and how you came about them?
2: Yeah, definitely is one of my favorite things to talk about because uh, as I mentioned we talk a lot about relative risk and that can be a little bit hard to understand if we tell you that you might be at a 14 percent increased risk what does that really mean to you right <laughs> um, and so but this is different because it actually shows you the impact of aging on things like facial images um, and and so uh, this cohort uh, that you referenced um, started in New Zealand in 1975 whenever over a thousand patients were three years of age so these children were really started to, to be inducted into this cohort with the, the purpose of measuring their aging rates throughout a lifespan. So some of these algorithms have been developed by looking at multiple different individuals at one point in their lifespan. Um, this it took a different approach, which is trying to say, hey, let's look at all of these individuals across their lifespan and see how their markers are changing on an individual basis. Um, and that was really, really exciting, something that's never been done before. Um, but, but now here in, in 2020, you know, uh, these individuals are, are 45 years of age or older. And so we've followed up with these individuals. And one of the things that we've, we've done to investigate how they're aging is we've taken sort of composite facial imaging um, of, of all of these individuals. And, uh, um, and what we can see um, whenever we do this diagnostic, particularly the, the rate of aging I mentioned, is that the people who are aging at a slower rate have significantly uh, younger facial appearances, um, whereas the people who are aging at fast rates have significantly older facial um, appearances, and and uh, and they look almost 20, 25 years apart. And in, in fact, because they probably are, um, at least biologically, because some of them have been aging at a two-year per year basis, while others have been aging at a 0.6 per year basis, and so over time. That, uh, that definitely, uh, accounts for a big change. And so, uh, and it's not just with facial aging, but it applies to every type of organ system as well. We saw the same things for things like muscle mass and sarcopenia. We actually saw, you know, uh, almost on average five year, five points of IQ loss in patients who are aging at a rate of, of two years per year. And so um, all of that to say that y- your aging affects every other process of your body, including how you look. And so another reason that we, we really like to sort of say you want to manage this process as early as possible.
1: You mentioned you're doing this because you've got the APOE4 gene, heterozygous, homozygous. and yeah. Yeah, and yeah, And so this is a personal mission for you, isn't it?
2: Oh, definitely. I've always had a special place in my heart for neurodegeneration, but I think that you know these, these aging patterns, and and actually even particularly that rate of aging metric that we uh, that, that we talked about. Um, that one is incredibly good at actually predicting um, the onset of neuro, uh, cognitive dysfunction, whether it's mild cognitive impairment or it's actually an Alzheimer's diagnosis. It is extremely highly correlated. And so that one is, again, one of our favorites because it can sort of show us how we're progressing to that metric. And so for me, one of the, and even for my parents, what I've really trying to do is to address as a primary concern that rate of aging. How do we get that rate of aging as low as possible? And um, in, 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 in even above things like the overall biological age, because it's, it's probably uh, a little bit more accurate at picking up some of those, those factors of neurocognitive dysfunction. One of the other things that we're really doing, even outside of aging, is we're looking at something called the imprintome. Um, and th- these are basically areas of our DNA which are uh, mm-hmm. inherited from a single parent. Um, but they're not DNA sequences that we inherit. They're actually DNA profiles, methylation profiles. So, that might be turned on and turned off. And um, it, and it's thought that this imprintome might be one of the reasons that we see um, essentially advanced Alzheimer's in in certain populations, like um, like uh, Latinos and African Americans, especially compared to whites. Because what happens is even in early childhood development, even when we're in the womb, we're exposed to some of these stress markers, which then might change the expression of these Mm -hmm. genes. And those expressions of those genes are highly correlated to outcomes like Alzheimer's or even autism. Um, So a lot of these brain-related genes. And so we're not just looking at uh, aging as a way to mitigate risk of Alzheimer's. We're also looking at other methylation marks, particularly even in early childhood, which might influence that as well, and then give us a a, a much more uh, uh, cohesive picture of all the reasons we would develop cognitive dysfunction.
1: So the takeaways from this for our audience, how often should you get your biological age tested?
2: I would recommend it uh, no more than twice per year. Um, you know, in order to be sensitive and actionable, mm-hmm. you do need larger periods of time to make sure that it's accurate. Um, and so, I would say no more than twice per year. The majority of people who do our testing will do it once per year, um, and, and, and unless they're you know trying to do personalized mm-hmm. medicine to see what works for them, and then they might do it intervals. Um, but but generally, the idea is you can't manage what you can't measure, right? You, if you don't know where you're at, uh, I mean, you don't know what's working for you and what's not. And, and we, we know that there's so much variability from person to person that some things might work for someone and others might not. And so I think the idea would be, Get, get a baseline, but that would be the take home message is that if aging is your number one risk for all chronic disease and death, if you want to do one thing um, to, to reduce your risk of all of those risk factors, Try and reverse your aging rate um, and try and, 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 and in order to do that, you need to know where you're at and then try as best to implement the, the quality lifestyles that we already know um, to then reverse that process and then measure on a yearly basis to make sure that you're staying up to date and that you're reversing that aging rate.
1: Ryan, thank you for your time. This is I've learned so much. It's really important work you're doing.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I know that a lot of these things can be a little bit esoteric and complicated as we talk about mechanisms, but if there's one takeaway, it is that definitely consider aging itself as a primary outcome to manage. I think that that is the one thing we would encourage everyone to do because they can impact their aging rate, and by doing so, they can have massive positive health benefits.
1: So how old are you going to live?
2: <laughs> you know uh, so again as I mentioned, I'm accelerated <laughs> aging so I'm probably not the best one to ask but uh, but you know uh, hopefully uh, w- with some changes and with some some effort and and with more knowledge about what changes these things uh, uh, we'll do at least 120
1: <laughs> at least 120 I'll be there with you <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. hey Ryan thank you for your time I really
2: appreciate it so much my pleasure it's great to talk to you you too <laughs>
0: You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot, and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.